Welcome to An Unknown Adventure. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and I finally decided to jump off the 24-7 work hamster wheel to go after my dreams. I will be downsizing from my 750-square-foot mansion to a 60-square-foot van in the summer of 2021, and I started this podcast to share that process with you. I'm hoping that it will add value to your life. And the podcast, Kind of Like Life, is ever-evolving. The topics I will be covering are achieving your dreams, unconventional travel, and minimalism. In each episode, I'll either talk to you about my experiences or I'll interview someone else about one, two, or all three of these topics. So hang on to the roller coaster of life for your unknown adventure. Today we're with Christopher Michaels, and we met in Berlin in 2019, May of 2019, is that correct? Yes. Okay, and the we second, were... Second week of May 2019. Wow, good memory. Okay, and, <laughs> we, and we were on a tour. What was the tour? Do you remember what the tour it's was? Underground Berlin. Oh, that's right. I thought it was art. Well, that's what it did do. We went to all the street art and... and okay. All of, and then she was talking about how Berlin became an art center. Right. But okay. We did it by walking around looking at all of the street art. Yeah, that was so cool. And yeah, then we and I then, loved it. And then you and I ended up with well, we all ended up at the East Wall. East Yeah, yeah East Gallery. East Side Gallery the, or something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's the last of the of the wall and it's about about five hundred meters, maybe a thousand yards or, or something like that of, of wall with which is covered both sides is covered in graffiti yes. i so wanted to do a graffiti project i know that. you did i know you did but but i would say artwork because i mean and graffiti is artwork but yeah. these are huge like murals and They're each really panel yes. is a, is a different artist yeah. yeah i have friends involved in the in the in the whole community with with street art who um yeah, the distinctions between a mural, which is commissioned, oh, and then street art, uh, graffiti, which okay. is underground, and okay. Oh well, then yeah, this would then that would be graffiti, street art. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here in Australia, we have uh, Melbourne is quite supportive of street art, and so there are projects all over Melbourne where the street art is accepted, if not actually invited mm -hmm. and they have a suburb called Fitzroy where artists have gone to the shops and the owners of the and there's an alley that you can walk down mm. and in the alley they have almost every blank spot has been covered by street art and you just walk down there and people just go to the owner and say Look, can we do a project on your back on your back fence that's cool that and sounds that sounds like the alley we went to in Berlin well, exactly. That's and there is actually in the middle in downtown Melbourne there is an alley like that that is actually about two hundred yards long, and it is an alley. It's only like I can almost you can almost touch each side. It's about two people holding hands can touch can touch the sides. It's just really a lane, and it's and there's a couple of them where they've just covered the whole sides wow. with with beautiful, amazing work. And have you done um, have you done anything 
on that? There? No. Uh, my work at the moment is mostly on on canvas and video with sound. Oh. And and performances. I, right. That trip I did last year where I met you, that was a five-month round-the-world trip. Yes. And I videoed myself dancing in every city I went to. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And <laughs> I think you helped video one of my, my Berlin Wall sequence, which was, I'm afraid as I get older, Tai Chi influences my movements more and more. So I have, I, I end up, that was the comment when I shared a few of those yeah. pieces. People, oh, very Tai Chi. Yeah. And it is true. I'm I'm into that whole chi energy which you've done with your acupressure, acupuncture practice. And I've done. I was a massage therapist when I lived in Los Angeles back in those ancient days. Like I said, when God was thinking about whether Adam was a good idea. <laughs> right. And I used to do massage on Venice Beach in California in the sun. Wow. I arrived for um, a stay of about six months. I had a twelve month visa. No, six month visa. And I was naughty. I'm going to broadcast to the world through your <laughs> thing. I decided to stay and I had no good reason. It was a dream. I just didn't feel right about being anywhere else. So I just stayed in Los Angeles. For how long? After a bit. Huh? How, for how long? Five years. Five years? Five years. <laughs> I, I met a woman at the mark of just before, at 11 months, uh, She in April. Uh, I got there in May and I met a woman in April who we fell mad for each other. Aww. And uh, six months later, we were having a baby. So we got married. What? And, and then because of adventures I'd had here involving a certain herbal remedy that's becoming legal, I the lawyers said I couldn't apply for a green card because that record in Australia would come up and that I should try and get it quashed. Well, they didn't have that capacity in Australia for doing that until I got back. <laughs> now they have it. I got back in, in 1991 and they introduced the law for that just before I got back. But you had to be clear for 10 years, wow. whereas in California, it's only uh, two, I think, or three years. And so I couldn't have I couldn't get proper paperwork to stay. And when the marriage fell apart, I came home because... I went through one of those things where manifestation went in the wrong direction. <laughs> Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and it was bizarre because I had a shower. I'd been arguing. I had this dream that I was going home and I didn't want to leave my son and I didn't want to leave my ex. As much as my ex-wife and I couldn't live together, I still loved her. And, and I didn't want to leave her in the lurch. And then I, so I had, but I had this dream that I was coming home and I, and this is the total space cadet that I am. I started arguing with the dream and, but the dream sat in the back of my head and every thought I had almost really referred back to the dream. I'm going home. And I said, no, I'm not going to go home. I'm going to stay home. And that's when things started going wrong. I had a car accident, had wow. two cars wrote, written off. I lost my contacts list, my diary with the contacts list for my massage therapist. I lost the place I was doing massage, which was a gym, and they decided that one of the owner's girlfriends would be better doing the massage than me. And all of these things started to go wrong. And I did this course in Touch for Health, which is another uses the acupuncture system. Have you heard of it, Touch for Health? No, but I think you, you talked about it when we met. Yeah, it's based on the work of some chiropractors from about 40 years, 50 years ago. Anyway, 
I did this course. We were doing a lot of treatments on each other. On the sat on this Saturday morning, the day after I got back from this five day course of of energy work, basically before I got in the shower, I was still arguing that I was going not going home. I was going to tough it out. When I got out of the shower, I'm going home. And I got a phone call within a half an hour from a pizza joint that I'd gone to with my son. Said, "Oh, sorry, everybody thought someone else had called you. Your wallet and your diary are here." Hmm. And then I was back in business because there was my whole list of clients. Wow. And then a friend offered, said you can come and stay. And then an airline, uh, Northwest Airlines, opened up a route to Sydney and was offering half-price fares home. And I went from totally broke and, and verging on homeless to coming home, being able to spend a week in Hawaii on the way home. Mm, nice. <laughs> I went. Yeah, I went back to Venice Beach where I had started. It was like full circle. Yeah. Went back to Venice Beach where I started, did massage on the beach. A lot of people remembered me and I hadn't been there for three years because I got this job at this gym and stopped going to the beach. There were practitioners there who still remembered me and there were clients who came back to me who were beach people. And within six weeks, I had paid for a ticket to go home and I went home. I came home, like I said, with a stop. After five years, I arrived back in Sydney Airport with a dollar, one single dollar. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. And my summary, the summary of the five years was I arrived, I started a business doing massage, I met a woman, we got married, we had a baby, we got divorced, went broke, came home. And that was five years. <laughs> wow. But you learned a lot and you had a lot of experiences and that's what matters. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. And then it took me a couple of years. My father died a couple of years later, and it took a couple of years to get money together. And then he helped with inheritance. And then I revisited Los Angeles for 10 years every year or once, once or twice a year to visit my son. Right. I sent money to my ex-wife to help her with rent and all the stuff you do as a good dad, yep. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and then, although I think she thought I was a jerk, regardless of what I did, she was very hurt by what happened. And I was too, but hey, that's life. We learn and live. Finally, because this is about travel, and yeah. then finally, one, I fell madly in love about two years after I started being able to travel again and visit my son. And on one of those trips, I visited my son for a month, and the lover that I was with was a flight attendant. And she got us cheap tickets to Costa Rica. Nice. And so I went down and I spent three weeks in Costa Rica with her. Nice. And that was the first trip, other than LA trips, that where I managed to do to do something a side trip after visiting my son. And Costa Rica is brilliant. Have you been there? No, I haven't been there. Costa Rica has such a unique history. They haven't had a military since 1940. Right. Yes. And they abolished the military after they uh, there was an attempted coup that lasted 40 days. And that was just right in the middle of World War II. It was 1940 or 41. Wow. And they abolished the military and put all the money into hospitals and, mm -hmm. and education. Yeah, I and did, they, I did they read that. More, yeah, they have more environmental reserves and national parks as a percentage of their landmass mm -hmm. than Australia or, or, Los or the US. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they have, you know, Unlike the rest of South America, they've been a democracy since 1870s. Yeah. 
Well, we have your version of superannuation, which I think is called 401k, right? Is uh, people pay into their... Yeah. You pay into Social Security, but you also pay into an investment fund or something Yeah, like if that. you work for somebody else. Otherwise, you have to have your own IRA. Yeah, you, yeah. you'll have to do it yourself. Yeah. And we do. We have the same here. If, if you're a sole trader you or a small business person of some sort, you have to set up your own superannuation. We have compulsory superannuation where 9.5% of your pay automatically goes into super. From that was It's only been going for uh, 30 years, but a couple of years ago I turned 60. And because I've lived such a bohemian kind of artist, traveler, pilgrim, crazy man life, <laughs> I hadn't been... I think there was one job in the mid-90s that I was a security guard in for a while. And that had been taken up by the bullshit fees that the superannuation people charge. Right. So I worked for eight years in a call center, which was the second most boring job in the world. <laughs> What's the first most boring job? <laughs> well, for the longest time, I thought, I, I, I just assumed there had to be something more boring. It was just a limitation on my imagination that I couldn't think of anything more boring. <laughs> I paid into the superannuation, not enough for a pension. And I'm 60, wow. so I get to 60 and I'm like, it doesn't even matter if I find a job unless I'm learning $200,000 a year, I'm not going to be getting, I won't be able to pay in enough money right. into the superannuation to do it. So, And I turned to 60 and they said, you can have the money. And I said, yeah, okay, I don't have enough for a pension, so I may as well have some fun. And I bought, I did some courses, my version of fun. I did some courses <laughs> in hypnotherapy and art. And I did a master's in creative writing and and I bought a, a little car so that I've got transport and I bought a good a, a decent computer and I spent five months traveling around the world. Which is amazing. Yeah. I mean that was and that was one of your dreams. That's right. And I wanted to do it for my sixtieth birthday. I couldn't quite get it all together for my sixtieth birthday, but I got it together so that my sixty first birthday happened in Rome. Oh. So I did it in my 60, 60th year, or the year of my 60th birthday. Right. And I, um, my birthday is the 8th of June, for those who want to do the astrology. I'm a Gemini, <laughs> if you didn't notice already. And like I said, on the 8th of June, I was in Rome, and that's where I had my 61st birthday. Mm -hmm. And I, I same situation I had when I was away for five years, around my 30th birthday, Saturn return for the astrologist. This was my Saturn return trip, and going to Los Angeles was a Saturn return trip. Mm, right, 29 and, um, to 30, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I knew that Saturn return was coming. I have a more complex view of astrology now. I'm not sure if it's related to the planets at all. It has embedded in it a lot of wisdom from thousands of years of observing human beings. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it has anything to do with the planets doesn't matter to me because the wisdom is still valid. Mm -hmm. Well, I want you to touch on how you brought yourself back from a stroke that yes. basically took you out, and yes. then I want you to talk about your trip. Okay. Well, the stroke happened New Year's Eve, which is, and and sadly, there were no fireworks even from the stroke. <laughs> um, I was I was getting an operation on my elbow because I dislocated my elbow, and uh, and I relocated it, but. The tendons were all fucked up. Excuse the old Anglo-Saxon. That's fine. And I was going in on our national health to get the tendons fixed because the doctors 
said that the osteo doctor said that it was an emergency and when it's an emergency in our system we're really good when it's elective surgery it's a hassle our system's not as good as it could be because my elbow was serious i just went in under medicare and they they did that when i came out of the operation i've as i've side had disappeared and sadly the stroke didn't affect my intelligence or my sense of humor <laughs> that's not it sadly didn't improve, it didn't improve those <laughs> like you know phenomena where he gets a tumor and suddenly he becomes a genius didn't work for me Aww. but it did I, I was paralyzed for two weeks right and then i um the inflammation in my brain it was in the in the right parietal lobe and it specifically affected coordination of my left hand and my left leg and was it a the TIA whole, or hemorrhagic? It was a bleed, yeah. not a okay. Yeah, not a block, a okay. bleed. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where there was a time bomb waiting in my brain, where there was a weakened. Thanks. And it was luckily it was only a capillary; it wasn't massive, right. so that's why it was only a little part of my brain that was affected. Over the next six weeks, because of my background in energy, in dance, martial arts in learning new movements through those and through yoga i had done a lot of yoga i was very fit before that i'm not so fit now but i had run a half marathon six months before and we have a city to surf which you you have a something equivalent in san francisco i think a, a run that goes from the oh yeah yeah a, a, a fun run that goes from the center of san francisco mm-hmm. to the coast yes or something like that mm-hmm. well we have that too which is a 14k 14 kilometers so eight miles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, nice. eight or nine nine mile run and it's very hilly like san francisco that particular run mm-hmm. and i did that in record time for me wow. i managed to do 14 kilometers so nine miles thereabouts in 90 minutes something like that that's great and the four years or five years before it had been i couldn't get below two hours for doing it wow. so i'd actually improved my run by by half an hour so I was super fit. That helped. Mm-hmm. But also because of an experience, and now I'm going to get a bit, I don't know whether it's uh, Space cadet or not. A couple of years before, I had this experience in the call center. On the coldest, on a really boring night, I was sitting drawing because I am an artist, among other things. And I got really, really into the drawing and I'd gotten lost in it, you know, like mm-hmm. meditation or flow, into the flow. Mm-hmm. And then a call came in. And I felt like I had forgotten how to talk, how to use the computer. I had to like, oh, shit, I've got to coordinate my fingers on the computer. I've got to say something. How do I do that again? And then I felt this transition between this part of my brain that was the drawing part Mm -hmm. and the part that was the talking Mm -hmm. and computer operating part. Mm -hmm. And I got fascinated. Mm The left and the right sides of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I now know from, well, I've always tracked the neurological developments over the last 30 years of brain plasticity and all of that sort of stuff. So I I was very aware of that at the time that I had this experience. And I also knew that the whole right-left brain thing is too simplified. Mm -hmm. It's, there are certainly slightly more of one function or another on the left and right brain 
but the brain is very interactive and interconnected. It's why it works the way it does. Mm-hmm. There are more connections within your brain than there are stars in the universe. And so over the next few months, I practiced these transitions. I would get myself into that state of the flow and then I would feel myself do the transition of getting back to the computer and then vice versa, going back into the flow from the computer and I practiced these transitions between Mm. parts of my brain. When I had the stroke, I had that background. Right. And I also had the background of being able to practice new movements and to be creative with movement. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know about it there but here a physiotherapist generally works with your legs and an occupational therapist generally works with your hands Hmm. occupation you're going to use your hands for your occupation more in our society okay i see and yeah and the physio is about walking and running and doing all those sort of getting your legs back in action so i had both of those to help me come out of on medicare by the way and over six weeks, I managed to learn to walk again and I managed to learn to use my hand again. Uh, and to a point where they thought there's not much more we can do, even though I felt really wonky. And just before I got out of hospital, they worked out a, a word I didn't, I'd never known before called stereognosis. Stereognosis means that you can't feel shape. So I had this really bizarre experience where I could coordinate my hand and my foot to walk and to do things mm-hmm. and they would do this was my jokey way of putting it was that my hands and feet would do what i told them to do but they wouldn't tell me what they were doing so they followed the coordination like when i went after about two weeks out of hospital i decided to experiment with running mm-hmm. okay because i couldn't feel my left foot wow well i had this bizarre experience I could feel the sensations of my foot, but not the shape and the position. Oh. Proprioception. Oh, I see. I didn't know, I knew proprioception was about position, but I didn't know it was about shape as Mm. well. Interesting. So my hand, I could put my hand in a pocket and I could feel the warmth of the pocket. I could feel the pressure of the pocket. But I couldn't tell the difference between a dime and a quarter or the keys mm-hmm. or the material of the pocket. Wow. So when I was holding my lover's hand, I, I'm single at the moment, by the way, well, um, <laughs> <laughs> anyone out there who likes the sound of this? Um, and I'm not, well, I am choosing it. That's why I'm single. But um, when I was at the time, my lover at the time, I had this very emotionally intense experience because I was holding a hand and didn't feel like I was holding a hand. Wow. I could feel the warmth of that hand. I could feel the skin, the pressure, but I couldn't. I didn't feel like I was really holding a hand. That's what sparked the uh, physios to go, we should test with this something here. I think we, they thought they knew what this was, and I didn't know, and they did a bunch of tests. And that was this thing about feeling shape is called stereognosis, which I'd never heard of. Yeah, like I've never stereo, heard of it. Word stereo. Yeah. But, and gnosis as in knowledge, like agnostic or gnosis as in the Greek for knowledge. And so it was, I don't know why that word, but that's what they called it. Hmm. And that took me probably two years, because it's been five, I've been six, nearly six now. It took almost two years for that to come back. And it's mostly back. 
about a month out of hospital, I got on my bicycle and I thought, I'll just experiment to see if I could ride the bike. Because I thought, right. with me feeling very unbalanced, I didn't know if I would be able to balance on the bike. So I just took the bike for a, a few yards and I was able to balance on it and work on it, even though I felt totally unbalanced. The bike remained balanced because my hand and my leg would do what I told it to do, right. even though I felt unbalanced. Wow, that's weird. That's it interesting. Is. It was really weird. I tempted by using first words. It was <laughs> over the top weird. <laughs> and anyway, I, I, I so the next day I rode to the a mile to the local supermarket, and, and on my way back, I'm pushing and pushing, and I'm having trouble. The bike's balanced, but I'm having trouble going forward. And I looked down at my hand. I couldn't tell the difference between holding the handlebar and holding the brake. Oh. I was holding the brake on. <laughs> wow. wow. And you don't know. I, I had no idea that the shape thing was going. Like I could put a backpack on. I could feel it on my right shoulder but not on my left shoulder, even though I could feel the strap as a pressure. Right. But I couldn't feel the deformation of my shoulder as a result of the weight. So I couldn't feel the weight on my left shoulder, but, wow. I, but I could feel the weight on my right shoulder. Wow. So it was your whole body. It affected yeah, the, your the, whole body. the whole left side, but my left right side. side was fine, which wow. is also wacky. Oliver Sacks talks about in The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. You know that mm. book? Oliver Sacks wrote a book about his uh, various people in his uh, that he'd helped through the life. And there's a, one of the examples. I had what one of those examples happened. Oh. This woman, I, I recovered mine, but this woman couldn't tell she had a left side. She would do the makeup on her right side and not even know that there was a left, side, left face to do. Wow. She would eat the food on the, on the right side of her plate, right. and then she had to turn the plate around because she didn't know there was a left side to the plate. Wow. Weird. And so when she turned it around and the plate, the part that was on the left side was moved to the right side, she could see it. Right. I didn't have that extreme, and I recovered it. But there was a period in the first um, couple of months including the period, the six weeks I was in hospital, where I would turn a corner, turn left on a corner and not allow for my left side and would hit the corner. Wow. And I was still doing that two weeks before they let me out of hospital. Wow. And they wouldn't let me out of hospital until I had started to get some of that back. Right. And I was able to, because of the training and because of my general awareness, I could allow for my left side, even though I didn't experience my left side as being there. Wow. Or that shape thing. Really, I had sensation without shape and position. Yeah, that's really then, interesting. So a year later, again, New Year, 2015, I had an epileptic seizure. What? And the epilepsy only affected my left hand and my left leg. And are you epileptic? Were you ep epileptic before? No. Whoa. Never had anything like it before. Wow. I was buying a car off my brother, and I was driving up to our hometown. Now, our hometown is 350 miles away from Sydney and was – calling it a town is a stretch. <laughs> it's a village. Okay. It had a pub, so in Australia, that means you're a town. Okay. you got a pub and a post office, and they still have a pub, but the population now is about 200. I was driving up to visit the town. 
and four hours out, I go to a hardware warehouse. So I go in there to buy something, go to the loo after driving for four hours, of course. First thing you want to do is go to the toilet. I have a seizure. My I feel my wow. hand tighten up and my foot tighten up. Doing it in a men's piss trough is really not the place to do it. No. But that's, this guy came out of the loo, out of one of the cubicles and said, are you all right, mate? And I said, no. Ah. Asked out from the seizure. Yikes. I woke up in the ambulance about Oof. 20 minutes later. And then my brother and sister came and got me and then I got back and I was walking to the doctor's to talk, tell him about the seizure and I had another one. Oh. Now, within 24 hours. Wow. But here's something that's really interesting. They gave me anti-seizure medicine and mm -hmm. I took off. Now, I don't recommend this for anyone who has seizures, but for me, it worked. That thing I was talking about, about the drawing and using different parts of my brain. Right. Over a period of six months, I wouldn't take the pills because I'd forget to take the pills. What I started to feel was, they call it alien hand. That's the official term when your hand doesn't feel like it belongs to you. Mm. And that's what I was getting. That was the effect I had with being able to coordinate my hand, but it wouldn't tell me what it was doing. And right. quite often that felt like the hand didn't belong to me. Right. Because I didn't have shape. That I had sensations. I noticed during the second the second seizure, I had this moment where I felt like the seizure hesitated. I felt like I I, I paused it hmm. just for a second or two before I passed out. I said this to the neurologist. Said, "Don't you try and do it." I, there was a part of me that wanted to have another seizure to see if I could do it again because <laughs> it was like you know fascination. Here's yeah. a scientist coming out. I gotta I gotta find out how this works. Right if this works right. at all. Right. The way I did it that was rather safe-ish, I would forget to take the pills. I would start to feel a bit really wacky on the, on the left side where, the, where it was. And then I'd take the pill. And I would start to feel fairly quickly. Because I asked the neurologist, you know, do I need to, it's not like depression pills because I've, right. I've, de I've done depression in my life. And you take them for 10 days before they'll, have a full effect and she said no that pretty much take a straight away effect so then i started experimenting with it I, I would only take the pill when i started to feel that alien hand thing. Mm -hmm. and then one day i was away from the house and i had brought pills with me mm. and i was i actually had gone to see the occupational therapist because i wanted to see how i was a year after they got out of hospital and they were doing a whole set of tests which targeted it was left hand targeted where the where the stroke had been. Right. Then I went to the art gallery where I was drawing because one of my exercises for drawing is to go to the art gallery and draw different pictures that I find interesting mm -hmm. to learn from sense. the masters. Yeah, that makes <coughs> still sense. Do, still do that. Yeah. Well, and, you're, and an, then, you're an amazing artist. I just have to say that. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, thoughtful outside on Instagram. <laughs> I was at the art gallery for a couple of hours drawing and I, start, I went to stand up and I thought, uh oh, felt my hand and my leg. I didn't know if my leg was going to support me. I felt my hand feeling really wonky and I was really starting to worry that maybe this was, it's the equivalent of an aura, but it's a mm -hmm. kinesthetic aura mm -hmm. that they talk about in migraines. Migraines, yeah. And they do talk about it in epilepsy too, because I did the research. Mm -hmm. And my aura was this alien hand. Right. 
and I'm at the art gallery in the closest hospital. There is one hospital that's across the park from me, but it's not a full-service hospital. I was on my bicycle, and I had ridden, already ridden 15 kilometres that day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I know from that first, that second experience that I have a moment. So if I have to get off the bike, I've got just about enough time to get off the road or I'll ride on the footpath and I've got enough time to fall. And I'm good at falling. I've been falling since I was nine, <laughs> since I did judo. Well, you, you, you're doing it as well. You know, one of the things that's cool as we get, if you continue physical training, and I'm a bit out of shape now, but I continue to go out and exercise sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I know I, I've fallen off my bike without hurting myself right. all the time. You know, not all the time. Maybe five times in the ten in the last ten years. It's a skill. And I know how to fall over on any surface without hurting myself. So I wasn't worried about falling over if I had the had the if I passed out. Mm-hmm. And I started to ride. And guess what? What are you going to do with a bicycle? The two sides of you have to balance. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing about the using different parts of my brain and moving from different parts of my brain, I began to realize that my seizures, the few I haven't had them for ages. I've only had those two, by the way, come from one injury, from one scar mm-hmm. in one small part of my brain. Right. On the, the right parietal lobe, as I said, left hand. So now, but that was, two months later, I stopped taking the anti-seizure drugs. And I haven't taken them now for, for, what is it, five years. Wow. Do you still feel the alien hand? Do you still feel the aura, the seizure aura? Once, once in a while, I start to feel it, especially if I've been sitting for a long time. Uh-huh. And and haven't been moving. It's like a symptom for telling me when I'm disembodied, mm-hmm. when I'm disconnected from my body. Right. And because then what do you do? I re-embody. I do some energy work. I focus my attention on looking and seeing what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. That activates the back of my brain. Mm-hmm. I listen to the sounds around me instead of thinking, and that activates the sides of my brain. I'll smell, taste, or try something that activates the, the underbrain. I'll focus on my right hand, which activates my left side of my brain. Mm-hmm. That takes the nervous energy and the blood flow away from where the injury is, mm-hmm. and I rebalance. Mm. Wow, that's cool. I focus on proprioception as part of that. One of the insights I got out of doing this is that if you look at things like Tai Chi and yoga, they are using proprioception as a way of crossing it over with neurology. They're using proprioception as a way of enlightenment, towards enlightenment. You do yantra meditations where you talk about visualization, like mandalas and things like that, doing visualizations. You do the mantra, which is the sound. Yep. And then you have people doing prayers, which are also basically sound. When I first started working with yoga back in the 70s, the teachers I was working with and the books I was reading were saying that the reason for hatha yoga was so that your body would be controlled so that you could let go of it to go into the spiritual realm. Mm. Hmm. And that they didn't, the body was considered the enemy. Sensuality oh. was considered the enemy. And that's why I grabbed hold of Tantra when I came across it mm-hmm. a, about five, six years later, mm-hmm. because it was saying, no, you, you go through the body and through the senses and sensuality. I'd used proprioception. I understood the word proprioception, mm-hmm. you know, understanding the relationships between the different parts of your body mm-hmm. is the way I learned it. And it was only through the stroke that I learned that it was actually also the shape. Huh. I had already worked out that emotionally our sense, our proprioception is affected by our emotions. 
sometimes you meet someone and you feel taller hmm. and and sometimes you meet someone and you feel smaller hmm. and it's That's an emotional true. response and your sense of your body the shape of your body and the size of your body changes mm-hmm. according right. to your emotionality wow that's true. And that's then it gets out of whack into dysmorphic problems that right. people have. Yeah. Where that same thing that everybody does becomes dysfunction. And we can go on about that forever. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so to feed this straight into the trip, so I get to being the fourth year of, or so, and I'm, I find this money. And one aspect of doing that trip on my, was to celebrate my 60th birthday, uh, second Saturn return, but it was also a graduation for my for my recovery. Right. Because I was going to go away from the support systems of Medicare mm. and all of these oh. friends and lovers and all of these people that I've got around me here, and I'm going to be on my own in the middle of, well, not really, we say whoop whoop, you say whoop whoop there too, I think. But except it wasn't going to whoop whoop is is like my hometown. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, that's an Australian slang. But whoop whoop means middle of. Oh. it's out back. It's middle of oh. nowhere. We say but fuck yeah. nowhere. Well, that's <laughs> that we we understand that because we've watched a lot of your media. No, but fuck nowhere we used to. Yes, and um, so whoop whoop is the polite one. Yeah, because you can't really say okay. but fuck right nowhere. No, no you can't. Um, you shouldn't but, know. <laughs> I mean, you can, but apparently on media, not so much. <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 that's one of the things we find funny. Is you, you have a freedom of speech in built into your constitution. Right, but we can't use it. <laughs> but you can, when I first arrived in the States in 1986, Letterman and others could not say ass. Right. We say ass, by the way. It's much it's much closer. Your version, ass, is very sharp, whereas ass is kind of rounded. So it's actually right. more onomatopoeic mm-hmm. for what's really there. <laughs> and That's ass true. actually sounds like the shape of an ass. Yeah. You're ass right. sounds yes. like you've had a fart. Yeah. <laughs> it's sharp blowing out, which is maybe why it works as an offensive thing. Because fuck is the same. Fuck yeah. is part of the reason fuck is so powerful. You know, I think we do the stupidest thing with our language, and I've learned this from Lenny Bruce, one of your greatest comedians. Oh, yeah, he's great. Um, was great, yes. And and then it was all of the followers of Osho or Bhagwan, I think he came up with it, but he did a version of this about the, the meaningfulness of fuck. And I think what we need is a word that is sharp, like fuck is, mm-hmm. and explosive, mm-hmm. but means celibacy. Because really, the people mm-hmm. who are the fucking... And that, and that other word that we're not allowed to say. Mm-hmm. That is the most beautiful experience most of us share. Right. What's right. more beautiful than a fucking cunt? Right. <laughs> Probably going to have to cut that out, but yes. Okay. <laughs> you can beat me, though, darling. But it's what is more beautiful than it? Right. I and agree. we offer this to people. We offer this to people who deserve not to be part of the part of evolution. Right. Right. You know, they don't deserve to have that right. beautiful experience. Right. That's funny. Those people, yeah, we, we offer it to them. Instead of it being a curse, we're offering right. them a blessing. Right, right. We call it a curse when it's actually a blessing. It's a, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so my trip, the summary of the trip that I did, that particular trip as my graduation trip. Yes. The quick summary is 
12 countries, 17 cities, and a small village in the middle of France. And how and did you pick the small village in the middle of France? It was <laughs> convenient to get along, and get along is a castle being built from scratch using only the methods and materials of the 12th century. Remember I told you about yes, this? Yes, I do. The, when we met, <laughs> and, and it's, it's five k's from there. At different times during the trip, I was using couchsurfing.com. Right. And I would, or .org, I can't remember if it's a .org or a .com. And I had put out a, a call in that area to mm -hmm. see if I could find a place to couchsurf because at that time I still hadn't really used Airbnb. And oh. someone came along who was about 30 or 40 k's from there and offered me a place. I see. So that's that's a bit far, but I was going to do it because at least it was in the area. Right. I would find a way. I could actually ride a bicycle that far. So, right. you know, that would have been fun. Right. And I was only going to stay for four days. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, a woman who is English living in this village called Trenny. You can look it up. T-R-E-I-G-N-Y. And she has a Airbnb in an old 100-year-old hotel that they what? live in Whoa. for themselves. Neat. And this Trenny was big enough at one point to have a cathedral, but no one uses the cathedral now. You've got to, the cathedral still rings its bell every fifteen minutes, which is wow, so much fun, especially in the nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I, I I have a great understanding of acclimatization. If you you know, we have a saying. I'm sure you may have used it in your work as well. What you resist persists. Mm, yes. That is and, true, and yes. If something irritates you, but you don't have any control over it, the more you resist it, yep. the more it persists. Yep. But if you recognize it, embrace it, and say, oh, I recognize you, you're fine, you're over there, I don't care about you, Yep. it falls into the background, you've acclimatized to it, and it's gone. So yep. thankfully for me, that bell going off, counting every hour fully, <laughs> and then doing, I think, five or six tones or four tones every quarter hour, oh. I just acclimatized to it. Anyway, I went to stay. She said to me when on the phone, listen, we're going over to London for a week. Would you mind staying for two weeks? And I said, oh, I want to go to Lyon. Uh, I'll just do the four days. When I arrived, she was such a personality. She's a designer and an artist who had worked in theatre. Her oh. partner was a mime artist who, who's English, but a, wow. learnt with all the best mime artists in Paris oh, and cool. was teaching workshops in Paris. Wow. And this little village was gorgeous. And I thought, I this is better than a big city experience. Yeah. So I stayed for two weeks. And the castle that was being built was five Ks away. So I would often just hitchhike or grab a, a lift. I went to it four times over the thing. The oh. rest of the time I spent bushwalking and uh, getting to know the local area. I got to experience... French forest, and there was only one other person in town who spoke English. Wow. So I was, I don't speak French, but I'm a very good mime artist. <laughs> I found that because English is the love child of German and French, that there's a lot of words that cross over. Mm -hmm, so I mm -hmm. can read French more easily than I can understand it because mm -hmm. of the rhythms. Right. Differences and the way they have lots of words, lots of letters that they miss out. We think <laughs> English is bad for for the silent letters, but the French are just as bad. Their mm -hmm. pronunciation 
if you look at the spelling, you're like, ah. Yes. Anyway. That's true. Like there was one time I spent an hour-long conversation with one of the neighbours who was an artist, and I don't know how we talked. Actually. <laughs> um, we were both, he couldn't speak English, I couldn't speak French, and we had this great conversation for oh, yeah. for an hour or more. Oh, yeah. I, I did that in China. I had long conversations. I didn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've been to China too for three weeks. I had studied Mandarin in, high, in, in university for a year, mm-hmm. and I could say five yeah. things properly. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and the, but the Chinese learn English in school, and a lot of them won't speak English because of the loss of face because they feel very self-conscious about yeah. doing something where they look foolish. Yeah. But if you make a fool of yourself enough, they start to feel comfortable with being foolish. And <laughs> Yeah. So I, I do want to ask you about, because you, you did this interesting travel thing where you took the, this bus that I had never heard of. Ah, uh, yes. The I'm band. still wearing the plastic thing. Aww. It's called Busabout. Busabout. And, and I, oh, you can't see it, probably. But this is this thing they give you, which is your ID, ID bracelet that lets you get on and off the bus. And I realized after I got there that actually because the, the local buses are so cheap that it probably would have been better not to use it. Because, oh. But I, I'd not been to Europe before, and it was a safety blanket for me. Oh. So I, pre, I prepaid 12 cities, oh. 12 destinations on this bus system. And basically, you could just go on the website or uh, uh, through an app on the phone, and you just said, I want to get on the bus at this time. Uh, the bus runs every two days. And you just get on and off when you want to around this big circuit of cities all through Europe. And it was brilliant because there's a there's a guide on every bus ride. Oh, that's great. I was in Trenny. When I was in, in the village in France, it's springtime. It's April, the middle of April to the end of April. And it's supposed to be springtime. And it was like minus three on one night. And it got to six degrees in the daytime. And it was six degrees Celsius, which is about 40 degrees. Oh, cold, yeah. Yeah, 40, 40 to 45 degrees. Yeah. It was it was bloody cold, and it's supposed to be springtime. But their winter is minus 10 and minus right. 5. Right, right. And so they're happy. They're like, yay, it's yeah. 40 degrees. That's oh, lovely. They're walking around in T-shirts. <laughs> anyway, to come back to Bus About, and so you can put this in your state. Yeah. Bus About is a great – if you have not been to Europe and you want to go to Europe and travel around, it is a great system because you can prepay – and there's this big circuit that they do starting in Paris and it starts mm-hmm. only in the springtime and it goes through to November and they do this run. They have a guide on every bus and it's young people. So it's good for me because I like hanging out with young people. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I say young people, they're like 35 and below. Right. <laughs> no, I know. Um, or, or 40 and below. <laughs> and they tell you what things to do. They You can organize tours through them and some of them are free tours. Some of them are paid tours. That one that I I met you on was a paid tour, but it was right. only like what's ten euros or something. Yeah, it was cheap. Or, no, it was a tip. It was a tip. That's right. It was a free tour that we tipped the person at the end of the trip, end of the tour. And I organised that through Bus About hostels oh. that they drop you at, where you can then oh. go, and they'll drop you at other if you've got another place you want to go to a hotel or something. They'll drop you there. Oh, that's nice. And you can book a you can book the hostel or the hotel through them as well while you're on the bus. Oh. It's just a, a pretty good system. It's more expensive than the local bus system. Right. But it was still basically it worked out to about 
85 euros per trip. So that what's that in US dollars? About a hundred dollars per trip per per place. Yeah, from okay. one place to the next. Okay, they're all the same price, so it didn't oh, matter whether. I see. Like the trip from Amsterdam to Berlin is a very long trip. It's it's a ten, and the trip to Spain, the last part of it, going from I think the trip from Barcelona across to Bilbao. I didn't go to Bilbao. There's a, I forgot the name of it. There's a a city right beside Bilbao, uh, San Clemente or something. That trip from there to Paris. Oh, that's far. That's a long trip. Yeah. There is one spot you can stop and and stay in a hostel in, in the middle of it uh -huh. if you wanted to. But I just did the trip straight through. It was the same price as the rest of it. So. I see. Like I took trains everywhere. So I take the, you know, I take the local trains and then when I went from Spain to Italy, I flew. And when I went from Venice to Prague, I flew. I went from I went the opposite direction to you because I right, went from Berlin right. to Prague. That's right. Yeah, I went from Berlin to Prague after we met. Right. Berlin I went to Prague. I didn't want to go I would have liked to go to Munich, but in the context of the trip, I didn't want to do it that time. So right. I went from Prague to Venice, and instead of using bus about for that, I bought a ticket. Yeah, yeah. On the lo on the local bus system. That's a long. That's far. Well, yeah, but because the local bus system, it costs fifteen euros oh, to go wow. from Prague to Ven Vienna. Yeah. And then I went. I'm um, sorry, it wasn't Venice. I said it was Vienna, and then I went again. Because they went up to into Poland and then back down to Budapest, so I just wanted to go from Vienna to Budapest. So I bought another local ticket from there, and that was nine euros. Wow! Yeah. And then yeah. I decided I didn't want to go into Croatia because Bosovac was going into Croatia and then going to Venice. So I took a I bought a local ticket from Budapest to Venice, and that was a ten hour bus ride. It cost fifty euros. Wow! Then I went back on to um, the bus about system through Italy. Uh-huh. Okay. And Florence they were gonna go up to Milan and then into into Switzerland and then down to Nice. And I decided I didn't want to do that. So I got I bought another local bus ticket that went straight from Florence to Nice. Okay. And then jumped back on the bus bus about uh -huh. and went from Nice to Barcelona, which was another thirteen hour bus ride. Wow. And I I looked into flying, but by then it was the middle of June. Mm -hmm. and everything was starting to get expensive right. and lock up. Right. Now, now, when I got back to Paris, I looked at the same hostels that I had stayed in at the in the middle of April, and they had gone from 25, 20 to 25 euros a night to 70 wow. to 100 euros wow. to share a room with six people or wow. eight people. Yeah, that's crazy. So then I took a look at the at Airbnb and I found this studio apartment, 20 minute, half hour train ride outside of Paris, uh -huh. outside the centre of Paris, Right. for 28 euros a night. Wow. Because it was away from the centre. Right. But it was right in the middle of the shop. There was a shopping strip where there was a beautiful bakery and sandwich shop and a post office and, and a bar, a bottle shop and right. what we call a bottle shop, a liquor store. Oh, okay. <laughs> there were all, all, and a pharmacy, all, you know, it was like, and it was only a five-minute walk from the station. Right. 
yeah. for 28 euros a night. Wow, I'm, that's great. Yeah, fantastic. So, so what was your budget? How, so how long were you gone? Five and a half months? It was just under five months. Okay. I left on the 1st of April. I got back here to Australia on the 24th of August. I went to Las Vegas for a hypnotherapy conference. Okay. That was the only professional thing I did on it. The rest of the time it was art galleries. I went to, I'll, I'll list the cities for you. Okay. I went Paris, then to Treni, then back to Paris. Then it was Amsterdam, Berlin, Prague, Vienna, Budapest, Venice, Rome, Florence. I didn't stay in Nice. I went straight through to Barcelona, Bilbao, back to Paris, then to Los Angeles where my son lives, then to Havana and to Merida in the Yucatan. Wow. And then from Merida in Yucatan, I went to Las Vegas. Then I came back to Los Angeles and then home. Wow. And with the tickets, the flights, accommodation, and all of the local travel and everything, the whole budget was under $15,000 Australia, 10000 American at the moment. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm weird because I don't, I don't like hotels. I don't particularly. either. I don't either. I like hostels. Yeah. Because I get to meet a lot of people. Right. And that's the point of the traveling. Yeah. The things I went to see were mostly art galleries and museums, some architecture, mm-hmm. some bushwalking. <laughs> I did between six and 7,000 photographs. Wow. And because digital is right. like that. Yes. I did 120 drawings that were watercolors or drawing. Wow. Where I would go to either, sometimes I'd just sit down in the middle of the street because I liked something and I'd start drawing there. I did that in Venice quite a bit as well because, you know, Venice is yes. quite amazing. It is. But more often than not, I was there to learn from the masters. So I would pick something in a, in a gallery and I, you know, I met a lot of people, which was the best. Probably the places I would like to go back to, definitely Paris, Berlin, Prague, Barcelona. I certainly like to go to Cuba again, but not at the end of a trip when I'm exhausted. Yeah. Cuba has an art market on the streets mm-hmm. on the weekends. Wow. Okay. On Saturday and Sunday. I was there when Cuba was celebrating its 500 years since the beginning of the invasion, as we call it here in Australia of the Spanish discovery of it. It's 500 years. So it was. I was there for that, and there were celebrations going on, and it was the um, anniversary of their independence. I was there for that. Wow. So they were all happening. The whole year was the 500, and then it happened that I was there during their public holidays for their, for their independence. Or was it, I don't know if it was independence, I can't remember now if it was the independence from Spain or the founding of, the Communist Republic. I can't remember. It was one or the other. I can look it up. The only thing I guess I would say that was a negative was just the exhaustion. Right. I was so tired by the end of it. Yeah. But I want to go now. I'd love, I wish I could go again. Well, you will. Um, yeah, I will. You will. Yeah. Finding out that you could go and live in Germany as a freelancer, that really excited me. Yeah. And I was really going to do something about that until I got back here and realized that I would need to look after mum. Yeah. I have a brother and sister, but I'm the gypsy black sheep. Right. I'm the one that has the most most flexibility. I guess that's why we get along so well. I'm also the black sheep. (laughs) (laughs) So can you tell everybody where they can find you? Like what, what your Instagram is again? Instagram is thoughtful outsider. 
it's Christopher Michaels on Facebook. Okay. And then Destiny Hypnotherapy and Coaching is my uh, professional page. And I do do Zoom and Skype sessions with people. Okay. Uh, for hypnotherapy. We haven't talked about that, but no. that's right. <laughs> All that brain work is part of what I work with, with people learning to manage their neurology and their positive use of placebo people think placebo is a bad thing and it's not it's a brilliant thing right mind Whatever and works. body yeah just simple expression of the mind and body and how it relates right. the one that people often do to themselves is nocebo which is when your beliefs cause bad things to happen people go the don't realize that the opposite is true too i didn't even you know can. that that was a word nocebo comes from the same word the latin i think it is that they use for pain in medicine and it just means the opposite to placebo anyway enough of this you've <laughs> got to go i gotta I go thank forever. you if you liked what you heard i'd love it if you'd subscribe leaving a five-star review on apple podcasts is also highly appreciated you can find me and more information about aua on an unknown adventure.com I do try to leave extensive show notes, including links to everything we talked about today. But if you have any questions or just want to say hi, please do reach out to me on Instagram or my website. And my Instagram is also an unknown adventure. Your adventure awaits, and I'll be looking for you on your personal road of dreams.